Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church in the Valley. Good morning. Okay, I heard one. That's better. All right. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the campus pastor of our church in Alhambra, and it's great to be with with all of you this morning. Uh, Pastor Randy is in Alhambra, and occasionally every few weeks we try to uh, switch so we can stay connected to what is happening at each campus, and so it's good to see uh, all of your faces. And we are in the middle of a series uh, called Hometowns, and we're doing this series at both campuses, and the emphasis has been on uh, community, and specifically we've been using this analogy of the hometown to kind of draw out what we were made for. And that's this idea of like in a hometown, in a community, you're, you want to be connected. You want to be known by people and you want to know others. And there's a sense in which you, you're really there for each other. And we began the series talking about how the need for community is not something that we have originated in ourselves or came up with the idea by ourselves, but it's actually been put there by God himself. Uh, he is a God that values community. He has community in himself in the Trinity. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the importance of living life in a way that goes with the flow of how we were made. And, and that's what you find in Christianity. We're made by God. And therefore, we actually have an opportunity to choose the things that he's made us to live for. And when we live for those things, life actually goes well. We experience blessing and goodwill. And there's a sense in which kind of life begins to actually really unlock for us and we can see the hand of God in, in what we do. And so this idea of community is central to life. It's something that I'm sure you've experienced and at times longed for and at times when you've not had you, it's been something that, that you've really wanted. And so today we're talking about the idea of how do the leaders and the followers of a community actually make it what it needs to be. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, the idea of community uh, was very simple. And I thought, you know, a community is just anytime there's a group of people, there's a community. And it didn't necessarily matter what you did as long as there was more than like three people and it was a group, there was a community happening. And there's a sense in which when anyone gathers together, there is a sense of community that can exist. But what you find in church life is that it's much more than a group of people just existing in the same place. It's much more than being in the same room. It's much more than being in the same house or the same neighborhood. It's actually being on mission together to accomplish what God wants us to do. That's really the biblical sense of community. Gathering together to do and to be on mission to do what God wants us to do as a community. And so that's kind of the basis uh, for community. And because of that, you actually need leaders to lead in a certain way. And you need followers to follow in a certain way, because if you're on mission, it means that you're going in a certain direction and to go in the right direction needs leadership and it also needs people that, that follow well. And so that's kind of the basis of what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning. And you may have noticed that the, the title of today's message is called heroes. And what you find in life is that heroes and leaders in any community, uh, they set kind of certain expectations. They set kind of a parameter for this is how life is going to be. And, and actually that that's real. We, we experience that our heroes and leaders, they set priorities and they reveal possibilities. We live in Southern California and there's not a whole lot of communities that we like drive by or in that have water towers. But if you've driven through the U S or you've been through the Midwest, you may have seen water towers. Does everyone know what a water tower is. Okay. Uh, there's a picture here um, of some cities that have people that 
that have represented that, that city. That's actually not the water tower. If you're thinking like my definition of water tower is different than yours, that's a billboard. Okay. Uh, but Blake Shelton from Ada, Oklahoma, this is the city in which he's from. And so that city is saying like, we, we belong to Blake Shelton. He comes from us. He's, he's our hero. So when you, you drive by, there's a sense in which you now have a connection to the community. If you've ever seen Blake Shelton perform or you know his music, this community is letting him, you know, the world know when you drive through these parts, this is Blake Shelton parts. Okay. Uh, there's another image on here. A Johnson City. This is the hometown of Lyndon Johnson. This is a president of the United States. I want people to know that we're connected to him. We have certain things that are important to us because he is from where we are. And there's the community's kind of built on this. And there's, there's one more. And you know what I found? None of these are on a water tower. I deleted some images and I deleted the one that had the water tower. So everything I said about a water tower, just delete. Have you ever seen a billboard? Here's three examples. Okay. This, this one's actually kind of one of my, my, the funnest ones. Welcome to Rennie, home of something or something famous someday, maybe. They're just hoping somebody will raise up and really make it in the world. And then they will change that sign. And maybe one day it will become a water tower. Okay. Uh, but all, all of these represent the heroes of the community. And these heroes are sometimes leaders or sometimes they're just symbolic in nature by again, this is what's important. They've shown us how far you can make it in the world because they succeeded. They did things. They made something of themselves. And in all of our life, we, we have heroes that, that we've looked up to in our community, in our family, in our schooling, in our neighborhoods. And these people and leaders that we're under actually do shape a lot of how life. So where we come from, really has a lot to do with with what we think life can be about. And that's shaped most often by the leaders that we've encountered in our life. But what you find in leadership, according to the scriptures and in the church, it's much more than just getting your name on a billboard. It's much more than just making it and being successful. Leadership in the scripture actually has some specific descriptions, parameters, character that you're supposed to choose. And as you dig into the Bible, oftentimes as you come up with a topic like leadership, you can read the scriptures and all of a sudden as you kind of study it and you get to know it and you spend time in God's word, your definition of leadership can expand just like lots of definitions of other topics. And that's what the scripture does. It speaks specifically to many things in life and leadership is one of them. And so I want to kind of spend the first half of the message defining and talking about the importance of godly leaders So that they can actually allow the community to exist and to move forward with what it needs to do. Anytime you talk about leaders and anytime you talk about followers, there's a sense in which the disclaimer is needed that that nobody is perfect. And as you can imagine, there's been leaders in your life that maybe have been hard for you to follow. There's been times in your life as a follower that it's been hard for you to actually be under a leader. And so knowing that we're, we're not perfect. But the scriptures nonetheless give us the sense of this is the direction and these are the parameters that the church must hold on to to ensure that we are on mission for God. And so I want to kind of spend some time uh, talking about that. In church life, our leaders shape the values of the church community. Whoever gets the status in any group, whoever is the leader, they actually are the people that set the values. So anytime you drive through a community, you see the name up on the billboard. They're saying that person represents things that are important to us. In church life, the same is 
it's the same case. Whoever are leaders, these are the people that they hold the values. These, this is what's important to us. So it's crucial in the church community to have leaders that actually represent the values that match God's word and his view of this is what a leader should be. So leaders, they carry the culture. They carry the values for good and for bad. And so I want to spend some time talking about some scriptures that kind of open up what those, those values should be. Uh, as you read the New Testament, many churches were being started. And as you can imagine, with a new church, uh, there's so many things that need to be put in order. There's so many things that can be chaotic. You've got relationships, you've got people, you've got the organization. And in the early church, just like the church today, they needed leaders to kind of order and organize so that the church could move forward. And there's a lot of writings in the scriptures from the Apostle Paul who started many churches. And he always was intent on setting up leaders to the many different churches because he knew that leadership was crucial for the reality of community to be able to exist. And I want to share this just one verse that he shared to this leader uh, who represented an early church. And this is found in Titus 1.5. And he says this, this is why I left you in Crete. And he's speaking to Titus. He says, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so he's saying, Titus, I left you in Crete as this new church is being started to put things into order. What that means is that there's things that aren't in order. There's things that are unraveling. There's things that may aren't coming together. And he's saying, we, you need to be in place so you can put the things into order that aren't into order. And then to establish leaders, to appoint leaders and elders in every town. And so what he's saying is as, as much as the excitement of this new church is, we have to make sure that there's leaders in place to keep moving it forward. And that's really the leader's role. You put things in order and you train up leaders. You put things in order and you train up leaders. And so that's a, that's a key idea of what leadership looks like in the community of the church. And here at church in the valley. Uh, Paul goes on connected to those verses and he describes the kind of level of maturity that these leaders need to have. And what you find is you read in the scriptures again and again, anytime leaders are talked about or elders are talked about, there's specific character qualities that they need to exhibit. There's some that's connected to skill. There's some instruction that's connected to gifts. But most of the instruction to leaders are the kind of character that they need to have. The focus is on character. And so as Paul's writing this to put things in order and to establish leaders, he then goes to describe the type of characteristics that leaders need to have. So you put things in order, you establish leaders, but ultimately you live in line with the character that represents Jesus Christ. And so that idea of character is actually the most important thing to follow. We don't just want to follow personalities. And we don't just want to follow people that are talented in the church. You want to actually follow people that have high character. This is why it says in Hebrews 13, seven to imitate the leaders over you. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. If you're a leader, there should be part of you that as you read this, it causes you to pause. I know it does me. Because just like if you're a parent to kids and kids watch what you do, they begin to imitate that. If you've ever kind of yelled across the, the room or the house to your kid, like, 
you need to go pick up your shirt. And then you go ask your child to do something like, hey, can you go tell my, my daughter's kid, can you tell, go tell Katie that dinner's ready? You know what one of my sons will do? Katie, dinner's ready. Well, I could have done that. I always think that like, well, I could have done that. And then I like, where did they learn that? They learned it from me. So the same is true in, in leading in church. People watch the leaders. And what happens over time is that they begin to imitate the leaders over them. And so imitate their faith and look at the outcome of their life. And you imitate their faith, again, based on, based on character. And so that, that's crucial, character. And then I, I want to share a passage. I'm going to read it through, and then I'm going to kind of talk about this uh, for a little bit, kind of unpacking each part. This is another a description of the kind of leaders that help set the possibilities and the values within an organization specific in the church. And it's first Peter five, one through four. And it says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. This is Peter talking and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, revealed. So he's saying, I, I'm an elder. I'm a leader. In fact, I'm a disciple of Christ. I saw how he suffered. I saw how he lived. And so when I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking with, with competence from what I've seen and what, what I've heard. I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm kind of using my eyewitness account of following Jesus as the basis for the kind of people that you are to be. And that's what's so great about the scriptures. We can read it today and have that same clarity. And so Peter goes on and he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In that passage, there's a lot of insight and a lot's using the analogy of a shepherd and the sheep. And so I want to kind of break this down in, into three pieces because it's kind of specific to, to three different things. So here's the church leaders assignment, attitude and approach. And you can find this in this passage. Here's the leader's assignment. If you want to be a leader in the church or you are a leader in the church, you have a certain assignment and that is to exercise oversight. And that's what Peter was talking about. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Now, the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep is something that can be lost on us because we're not around sheep that much unless there's like a pumpkin patch in October and we went right. We're not around sheep that much. There's a sense in which shepherds, they have to lead the sheep. They protect the sheep. They watch over the sheep. If a sheep is hurt, they have to come and inspect it. They have to protect them from oncoming wolves or beasts that may try to take them out. And then if the sheep gets off track, there's a sense in which the staff is used. You've like, you got to get back in line here. As you can see, we don't carry staffs here in church life. But correction still is a part of leadership. There's a sense in which we're all sheep that can get off track. We're all sheep that can be hurt and need help. We're all sheep that can get lost and we need direction. And that comes through shepherds. And that comes in the church through the leaders and elders that are put in place. And so Peter, he's saying, exercise this, this oversight. You, you take responsibility for the leading that, that you have, for the, all the many things that are, that are over. You take responsibility. Oftentimes, as you lead, things unravel. And I was thinking about this idea of things unraveling. 
And as things unravel, they, they get in knots and they get kind of tangled up. And I was thinking this morning of my, my headphones. Any of you guys ever used like these headphones? For some reason, I always put them in my bag completely free of tangles and knots. And somehow I pull them out of my bag and they always look like this. Has that been your experience? Now, some of you are the people that kept the original packaging. You wrap it around that plastic thing. You're like, Alex, I actually don't have that problem. I am not you, and I wish I was when I pull it out. But mine always looks like this. And so I spend all this time thinking through, okay, i got to get the strakes. I can't put it on my ears. And that part always does that. It always does that. And I just think, I'll pull harder. And then I, that worked. Usually it doesn't. But then you get to the point where you're like, okay, I I got it. And you know what? I'm going to wind them back up and I'm putting my backpack. And when I get home, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be like this again. And that's what Peter is saying. There's a sense in which things can always be unraveling as you lead people, specifically in the church. You're leading volunteers. You're leading with complex situations in many different facets, with multiple years and generations, with different objectives, all under the mission of God. And things get unraveled. There's a sense if you're a leader, it's easy to be frustrated and pull things out and think it's, it's tangled again. It's a mess again. I just want it to be settled. But what you realize is as you lead people, people's lives are never just settled. There's things that are happening all the time in your lives. And you need leaders that are exercising this oversight, knowing that as things get unraveled, the leader's job is to twist it back up, put things back in order. And when it gets unraveled, to do it again. That's what Peter's describing here. That's what a leader is to do. So that's, that's kind of the assignment. You exercise oversight. Then in that same passage, he talks about a certain attitude that you should have. Now, this attitude as, is as important as the assignment. The leader's attitude is to lead in a willing and eager way. In a willing and eager way. And this is in 1 Peter 5, 2, the second part. And it says, not under compulsion, but willingly. So leaders in the church community are supposed to have a certain attitude that it's actually, it's a joy to lead. No one's forcing me. No one's putting me in the corner. No one's manipulated me. No one's put leverage on me, but I'm doing it because I know that this is what God wants me to do. I lead because I want to serve him. And ultimately, I want to care for the people that he puts under. And that's what a leader is supposed to do. Willingly not under compulsion. So again, that, that idea of things unravel, uh, patience is key. If you've ever been a leader and you try to communicate with a group of people, no one ever communicates exactly like you. And we live in an age of technology where maybe you're trying to communicate with 30 people. Have you ever just thought like, if I send an email, wouldn't it be great if 30 people responded in 30 minutes to the question I just asked? And then you look at the people that you're leading, you think some don't have email. And then you're like, well, how are they going to get it? You can't just say, well, I hope they do. Because they they won't. There's a sense in which you you always are having to work on communication. You're having to work on patience. You're having to meet people where they're at, not where you want them to be. And that's what a leader does. But you do it with a certain attitude that it's a joy to lead because it's the responsibility that, that God has given. And then the second part of that goes on further to describe this attitude, not for shameful gain, 
but eagerly. And these two go together, not not under compulsion, but willingly. But also you're not doing it to put yourself ahead of others. To lead and be a successful leader ultimately means that you're going to put others in front of you. And in church life, you do that on the basis that that's the kind of love and leadership that Jesus has told us to do. That's why we put the goals and interests of others above our own. But as a leader, you're actually supposed to set the example in that. And there's a certain order of things that should always happen as you lead. And it should always be the mission first, making sure that we're doing and going in the direction that we're supposed to as a church. And then you're supposed to put the welfare of followers next, making sure that the people I lead are doing well. They know what they're supposed to be doing. I know where they're at in their life and I'm connected to them. And then the third is me. And it always has to be in that order to be a successful leader. It's always the mission. It's always others. And then it's me. But no matter who we are, no matter how long we've been a leader, there's always going to be that pull to put ourselves either above the mission or above others. So what Peter's describing is you, you, in the freedom that you have been given to lead, you have to do so in a way that you actually sacrifice for others. And that's why the, the, the compulsion and not having that is so important. Because we're not going to sacrifice for anyone if we're forced to. That's why freedom in church life is crucial. Because as we're free to do things, and we're free to lead, and as we're free to follow, we'll actually do the things that God wants us to do because it's right, not because we're forced. Anytime we're forced, it does not last. And that's what Peter's describing. Recently, this was last year, in Alhambra, we, we have groups just like you guys have in Diamond Bar, and I was a community group leader. And uh, each year, you know, you choose which night you want your group to be on. And usually we target like a Tuesday, a Wednesday, or a Thursday. This year, I'm, I, or last year, I was overseeing all the leaders, and I was leading a group. And so I'm kind of exercising oversight over the whole groups, but at the same time leading a group. And I came to this test that God gave me. And I decided, as I was organizing the groups, that I really didn't want to do group on Thursday night. I just really didn't want to do it. And so I asked the question of, which night would you guys like group on? And inside, I was like, just please somebody say Thursday. Please somebody say Thursday. Because if you do Thursday, then I don't have to do Thursday. And that's what was going on in my head. And everyone's like, well, I think Tuesday would work well. And I was like, oh, okay. I think Wednesday would work well. And right at that moment, I sensed just God saying, you are going to be leading a group on Thursday. And then, but, you know, I can be stubborn. So anyone else have any other days of the week? Does that work? You know, and it just came apparent that it was not going to work for anyone else to lead on a Thursday. And in that moment, I realized that struggle because I wanted my own way. And it was a test from God. Would I put my own agenda and my priorities above the people that I'm supposed to be leading? So it's connected. I have to set the example. If I forced my way and I got what I wanted, I'm basically saying this is how you lead. You push. And you manipulate. And you get what you want. But instead, I had to choose to have the group on Thursday. And there were many weeks. I'd love to say like, and you know what? It was the best night of the week. I did not like it to this day. I did not like it. But that's what a leader does. 
You serve and sacrifice those in which you lead. And so there's some some assignment. You have a little bit of of the attitude. And then there's a certain approach that we're supposed to take as well. And I've mentioned it a little bit, but it's found in the the, the last part of verse two that I've been covering. And Peter goes on, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. As a leader, what you do is always so much louder than what you say. And we we know that if you're a parent, you know that. But aren't there times when it's just like, do what I say, not what I do. Because doing and being an example is actually difficult. That's what's hard. That's where it gets real. Because the moment you put something into action, it's actually true about you. If you just talk about it, it's not true yet. It's just an idea. So what Peter is saying is for people to understand the kind of character that we're supposed to have as Christians, if we're supposed to be kind, if we're supposed to sacrifice, if we're supposed to love people, if we're supposed to give, if we're supposed to extend ourselves, if we're supposed to serve, they will not get that by being told and told that that's what they need to do. People will get that by seeing that in the lives of the leaders who lead them. We've experienced that. We are like the people who led us. But in church life, the stakes are so high because of the mission. We're trying to help people come to know Christ, to see that Christianity is different. So a leader should lead in a certain way that the followers can imitate their faith. And God's help, as he moves in us, we can change. So that's what Peter's saying. It's, it's so much bigger than we think. It's so much more complex than we think. And it, the stakes are higher than we think. But that's the role of a leader. Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, well, this is the greatest news. If the leaders over me did this, I would follow no matter what, right? But even with that, there's a part of us where you have to talk about the other side, and that's following. In any community, you can't just have leaders. You have to have followers. You have to have people that are executing. You have to have people that are actually doing the work of the ministry within the church. And there's a part of us, whenever we talk about leading and leaders over us, I don't know about you, but there's a part of us which times we can get into that, that framework of, I don't really need a leader, want a leader. I could be the leader. You know, I don't need a boss. I'm, I'm old. You know, you may have said that. There's just a little bit in us. If we kind of unpack the layers of our hearts and we unpack a little bit more and we unpack it a little bit more, you get to the point where you're like, I don't really like to be under leadership all the time. Right? The reason I'm saying that is, is that's real in my heart in the depths and that's real in your heart. So talk about leading can sometimes be this ideal and out there. But what happens is, is it actually gets to the point where it has to be real and then the same is true for following. And so I want to spend the rest of the time talking about what does it mean then to be a follower under the leaders that God's put in place within the church. And the key word is, is cooperation. There has to be cooperation. And godly cooperation propels the church towards its mission. And those are when, when the leaders lead well and followers follow well. That's when you see this cooperation in action. 
and the mission of the church can be accomplished. And you see God's kingdom penetrating the darkness. That's the beauty of the community. It's not just hanging out. It's a community on mission together. But it's key for cooperation. First uh, Peter 5.5, 5, Peter's talking again, but now he's addressing the followers. So he spent a lot of time talking about leaders, but he's like saying, in case you're not a leader, there's still a lot of things that you can do as well. And this is what he's saying. He's talking specifically to the younger crew. And he's saying, likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. And this could be both in age or spiritually. But learn from those who are further along than you. And what are we told to do? To be subject. That idea of subject is to be a subordinate. Now, remember how I talked about followers? How many of you would just love to be called a subordinate every day? Like, not your name. Like, hey, subordinate. And whistle that. That's even worse. But isn't there, like, subordinate? I'm not a subordinate. Right? Well, actually, anytime you follow under a leader, you are subordinate. And it has a negative connotation in our culture. But it's actually meaning that you are in the right place. You're fitting into the role that you're supposed to be. You're where you're supposed to be. This past May, we were in England as a family. If you've ever traveled in Europe, they have actually like public transportation. We think we know what public transportation is. And then you go to Europe and you're like, whoa, it's very complex. And as a family, we were taking the tube to London. And we were going all around London. And there is like, just remember how I did my headphones? Well, the tube in London is just like this. Pick a color and it'll take you somewhere. And that's what it feels like. And so always I had my map and I knew, okay, I take, I take Piccadilly to Oxford Circus. And then I'd get to the line and I'd see the names and then I forgot, like, but which direction? North, south, east, west. And so, you know, you have kids and they're following you and, and you... You know, just, you know, we've got to get our steps in. We've got to exercise. And the whole time, you know, I'm leading this charge and I'm like north, south. And my wife, she's very gracious. She's been married to me a long time. And she knows when I don't have any idea where I'm going. So we're supposed to go north, south. Yep. Yep. North, south. That's where we're supposed to go. And then I'm realizing that they go in different directions. But then I asked somebody. Do you know, am I supposed to be taking this north or south? And where are you going? Well, I'm going here. And they'd say north. And then you'd get onto the line and you knew where you're going. The doors would open. You'd get in and there's this. We are where we were supposed to be. And that's what Peter's saying. That sense of relief where you're not lost and you know exactly where you're supposed to be. That is a follower who's following well. You're in the right spot. And anytime you are subject and you are a follower of a leader and you're following well, you're subject to them. And take all the negative connotation and throw it out. And what it means is you are doing what God wants you to do. You're in the right place. And that's what a follower is supposed to do. Hebrews 13, 17, in the New Testament, it goes a little bit further. And it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. for They are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
The word submit here is actually the same word as subject. It's this idea of you put yourself under. And in this, you see the opposite side of the leader. You put yourself under as a follower because the leader is over. And what is the leader doing? They are watching over you. There's protection. When you're under your leader and the leader's over you, they are watching over you. Why are they watching over you? Because that's the role that God's given them, and they're going to have to give an account to them for every person. You have to give an account to God for every person that they have ever led. But as a follower, we're going to have to give an account too. Were we under the leaders that were over us? And here's the thing. If you're not under the leader, they can't watch over you. And so you actually, if you aren't following leadership, you're actually not protected. And that's a place that that you don't want to be. And so Peter, as all he said about leading, he says there's just a sense in which as a follower you have to voluntarily, without force or submission, subject yourselves to the leaders over you. And you're in the right place. So I was thinking just anytime you talk about following, you always kind of go to the leader that you're supposed to follow, right? That's usually the emphasis. And I was just thinking, what are common frustrations? And these are things that I've experienced in my own life, and you may have your own, but, but here's some of the things. And I want to give these because sometimes we talk about following, and what follows that is, yeah, but my... You ever done that? You need to follow. Yeah, but my... Boss. Situation. Circumstance. Problem. But it's actually not conditional. Very small percentage if the the leader is in rebellion and causing you and leading you to do something that doesn't please God. That's the only really time which you can actually not be subject to them. But I don't know about you, but I've actually never experienced that. So these commandments, really the norm is... Be subject. Follow well. So here's, here's some of the things I thought. Leader doesn't seem to understand or care about me. That describes like a lot of teachers I had in junior high. I just don't understand my situation. Like junior high is rough. I might have sounded just like that too. That's how sad it was. Uh, when, when that wave of frustration comes, and it will, if you have that wave of frustration... Use that to take that to God. Take that frustration to God. Say, God, you've actually told me to follow. And I I just feel like I'm not loved and cared for. So help me to to follow well despite the frustration. Uh, It could be you're unclear of what your role is and what you're supposed to be doing. So there's just frustration. It's ambiguous. Ambiguous. That's how you say it. Ambiguous. It's unclear. So I can't really follow because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You can actually ask the leader over you in respect. Like, I'd really like to to move forward, but I'm unclear of what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do that? And the leader will give you direction and clarity. And then you can move forward. Or if you're at the point where you just just lack encouragement or, or feedback. feel like, I don't know if I'm doing my job. I don't know if I'm on the right track. And that may be just kind of ripping you of just wanting to move forward. Again, you go to God and God, I'm... I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm doing this to please you. And if I don't get any credit for what I'm doing, 
Help me to still do it in a way that pleases you. So these are just the things you have to, you have to deal with in, in, your, in your heart and in your mind and in a real way. I want to end with one passage, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to wrap this up. Whether you're a leader or whether you're a follower, no matter the frustrations that you experience, there's a key idea that's also found in the Scripture that Peter talks about in this passage in 1 Peter 1. And I want to read it, and then I'm going to just summarize it very brief, briefly. It says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, on him because he cares for you. So the key character, whether you're a leader or whether a follower, is humility. And the reason you can choose humility is ultimately, remember I talked about the over-under, ultimately, if you're leading, you're under the mighty hand of God. And if you're following, you're under the leader who's under the mighty hand of God. And if you're walking with God, you're under the mighty hand of God. The reason that you can choose humility and put others in front of you is not the strength of the community or the strength of the people you're around. It's the strength of God's mighty hand. He is the reason you can lead. He is the reason you can follow. And when we're anxious and overwhelmed by the responsibility of what we're to do, it's his mighty hand that will lead us and protect us. So I want to wrap up and I invite the band up and I'm going to just go through some next steps. And each week we talk about these and I know you, it's that part in the service where you're like, okay, we're doing the next steps. We're going to be singing soon. The offerings going to be coming by. But I encourage you to really think like, what does this mean for you today? If you're a leader, if you're a follower, if you're both, I just like you to think through some next steps. You can see it on the back of the connection card. If you finish filling that out, when the offering comes by, you can drop it in there, but, but just deal with what's maybe some of the frustration that you face as a leader or as a follower and just decide where is that the most pressure for you right now? And the last thing is based on that frustration, what's one thing that, that you can do if you're a leader? Is it that you, you really need to set the example? You need to sacrifice first. If you're a follower, is it do you, you really need to deal with your frustration in a way that goes to God and not just kind of complain and, and build within you? So kind of think through that. Think through any of the, the next steps that, that you can take, and you can just write it uh, in that uh, blank space there on your connection card. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing and, and receive our offering. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the fact that ultimately you lead us and your mighty hand protects us and provides everything that we need. And thank you, God, for the community that you put together here at Church in the Valley and for followers who follow well and leaders who lead well. God, help us to look to you for our strength and for our motivation and really rely on you moment by moment uh, in the midst of frustration. So we ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.